Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. For more in-depth perspectives and interesting stories, sign up for our daily newsletter at tvo.org daily. Even as thousands every year flock to Ontario's capital city, Torontonians have also been leaving the city for years in search for more affordable housing options and more space. Six months into COVID-19, hitting people hard economically and making many work from home is an exodus out of town on the horizon. Let's find out. Our guests who are joining us all from Toronto in Corktown, Mary Rowe, President and CEO of the Canadian Urban Institute. Also in Leslieville, John Pasalis, founder, president and broker of Realosophy Realty, who crunches real estate data on the Move Smartly blog. And from Eglinton West, impact investor and writer Melissa Alice, who recently made the case on TVO.org that Toronto may never recover from this pandemic. Welcome, everyone. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Melissa. Now, that op-ed got a lot of people talking. I want to show a little snippet of what you wrote. So it says, the career opportunities, social life, restaurants, sporting events, and cultural cachet are what made Toronto, well, Toronto. Without the opportunities, the shiny attractions, and the requirement to live within a reasonable commuting distance of work, people may be less willing to tolerate the sky-high housing prices and rents, traffic, pollution, noise, and family-unfriendly condo lifestyle. Unless all levels of government work together to revive old industries, create new ones, and sustainably invest in the health of Canada's largest city, the allure of the big smoke may disappear into thin air. Now, Melissa, you wrote that article earlier this month. It seemed to strike a nerve with Torontonians. Why do you think Did that it is? Ever? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because number one is we're very fiercely loyal and protective of our city. I think all of us have invested so much into making it the amazing world-class city that it is and that it was becoming. And to see all of that becoming undone because of the events surrounding the virus, it does strike a chord because it's a city that we all hold close to our hearts and we want the best for it. We live here, we've invested in it, and it's hard to see it regress to the extent that it is regressing. Now, Mary, Melissa suggested in the title of her op-ed, Toronto may never recover from COVID-19. What's your view on the city's ability to weather the storm? Um, do you know that famous Mark Twain quote that rumors of my death are largely exaggerated or whatever? <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, I think that this is, cities are about constant churn and change. Um, and the, the COVID experience and all the other things that are coming along with it are like a particle accelerator. They're just making things much more visible all the way. The things that were already challenging in Toronto beforehand, so affordability is one of them. And, uh, but I don't think that you can underestimate the capacity of a city which is a living thing. It's full of people. And so as much as I hear what Melissa is saying, people are going to be concerned at the things about the city that attracted them there. What really attracts us to cities are people. Mm-hmm. And people are going to continue to congregate and aggregate uh, because of the economic opportunity, the social opportunity, the cultural opportunity. I don't want to underestimate our ingenuity to be able to continue to invest in congregate living in safer ways, in more equitable ways, 
And I think we're just in the midst of a really big wake-up call. I think it's way too early to count, to count Toronto out. Sorry, Melissa. Maybe I'm being more hopeful. I just don't. <laughs> the things that you're lamenting that are missing, actually, if you go out into some of the neighbourhoods, at, at, at the third institute, we've been focusing on something called Bring Back Main Street. And if you go into local neighbourhoods, you will see really remarkable innovation and people doing really smart things now to make their the, the experience of being on your main street safer, to, to continue to have some commercial life and some shared life, whether you're walking or sitting or hanging out. And I don't want us to underestimate. In fact, I think it's wrong to. I think cities have survived and survived and survived and they will continue. No one's the boss of the city. And so no one can actually, and I think what we're gonna witness is extraordinary change but resurgence. All right, I want to get John in this. Uh, John, people in Toronto have been moving out of this city. I was born and raised in Toronto. I moved out to Hamilton uh, five years ago. People are looking at Hamilton and Barrie and have been moving there for years. How is this movement different from those movements? Uh, yeah, it's, it's significantly different. I mean, you're right. We have always seen people moving out of the city. Uh, you know, since, since the state of emergency, we definitely have seen a surge in uh, and kind of two types of people moving. I mean, the first group, which is smaller, I'd say are families who have smaller homes in the downtown core moving out to the very outer suburbs. Um, you know, and that has definitely been a trend. The other big trend and probably the more significant one uh, is people moving out of condos. And that's where we're seeing this real surge in condo rental inventory uh, and, and condos for sale. And the reason the rental inventory is, is, is spiking right now is because people are just moving out of their condos and they're moving out of the, them for a couple of reasons. I mean, many of the reasons that Melissa highlighted that a lot of the reasons people live downtown are, are all of those, you know, are gone. The, the nightclubs, the restaurants, all of those reasons are not there. Uh, and, and many of the people, if we look back, who have been impacted the most by COVID have been renters. You know, they're disproportionately impacted. Their jobs have been lost. Uh, so we're definitely seeing a bit of a shift out of the city for both of those reasons. And, and I think the, the hardest hit areas are certainly the, the downtown condo market right now. See, not everyone agrees there's a, an urban exodus happening. Uh, here's what uh, urbanist Richard Florida had to say back in an article in July. It reads, we've only seen a movement out of three cities, New York, Boston, and Detroit. We've seen nothing of this in Toronto. There has been no massive exodus of people out of Toronto into the suburbs over and above the family formation moves we've seen before. What we're likely to see is far less a disruption or a recasting of trends and far more an acceleration of change that is already underway. Now, that was an article, Richard Florida in the National Post uh, in July. Uh, Mary, what do you think of Richard's argument? Well, I think he's right. Um, but but I would also say this, you know, Richard lives in Toronto, but he's an American. He A mm -hmm. lot of his data sources are American, as you can see, and he's citing three American cities where they have cell phone data, data to suggest people have left. But the history of American cities has been of an exodus, uh, predominantly driven by race and income historically over decades. And so there's a different pattern there, I think, that could potentially, and I think Americans are wise to watch this, it could potentially start to replicate. But um, I think we need to be clear that in it's, it's more of a pattern of mobility in American cities to have a vacation home that you go to on the weekends. We don't have that in Toronto to the same extent. We have, certainly we have people that have vacation homes and go in the summer, like to their cottage, uh, but we don't have the same pattern where a whole block after block after block to camp every weekend so I think it's a different demographic pattern. I also think that 
Um, Torontonians take seriously their commitment to being in their place 24-7. They, we've made a livable city. Melissa refers to this. People have invested in making a, this a 24-7, seven-day-a-week city. So I don't think we have that same issue. What I want, I want to respond to John, if I may, mm-hmm. that as much as John is suggesting that, you know, that young family that's been living in a small condo and just had a baby and they're about to have a second one, they were going to be looking to get out anyway. They were going to look to make that transition. That's just a lifestyle decision that lots and lots of families make. The difference is, is that usually we have immigration and we have lots of people coming in to easily take up that space. And so the numbers don't necessarily reflect just exodus because there's people coming in. And I still think that's happening. And I don't know how your data can track that, John. Obviously, immigration isn't, but that's going to resettle re, re, uh, itself. We'll see immigration, I'm sure, turning. And, John, I'm interested whether your data is going to be able to show this, because you, I'm sure you'll tell us that um, residential home, single-family homes at the moment are actually still in bidding wars in Toronto. So somebody is coming and wanting to live here. And my guess is it may be some of those condo dwellers where a decision was kind of in the back of their mind, we better think about this, we better think about this, and now they're going to move into, they're going to take advantage of the market and they're going to buy a house now. So I don't think it's, I just don't think it's cut or dried. I, I do think there are profound challenges for us in terms of rethinking the configuration of spaces, generally, in terms of the supply that's going to come on next. And what does uh, what does condo life need to look like that allows more space, more shared space, more public space, and can be safer? Because we have neighborhoods across the city where people are in apartments that are too small, where they are overcrowded and where they have not been able to be safe either from the virus or from the domestic challenges of living in cramped space. So I think that's a profound challenge for city builders and people in John's industry to think Mm -hmm. seriously, how are they going to change that? With that, I'm going to let John respond. Uh, And uh, what do you make of uh, Richard's argument that uh, there hasn't been a massive exodus as well? You know, to some extent, he he's right in the sense that we're for sure seeing a bit of an exodus from low-rise homes in the city, so families that have semis to the outer suburbs, but it is not a, a mass exodus. You know, uh, there are still bidding wars in Toronto. City of Toronto is still a very booming city. So the, the low-rise home market is not materially impacted by this. You know, this is you know, these are probably hundreds of families that are moving out of the city. And because a lot of these really outer suburban areas don't have a lot of sales, proportionately, they have a big increase in sort of the number of people competing on those homes. So I, I tend to agree that that is not the biggest factor. But the big factor that I think he misses in his argument is that we're definitely seeing an exodus out of cities. Uh, and it is not just people who are upsizing from condos. Those are people who own their condos and are moving. So the big exodus really that we're finding are the people who are renting condominiums who are moving out of them. And and the rents in Toronto have dropped about 20% downtown over last year. And this is not necessarily due to a big decline in demand. Rental rental, uh, demand has been roughly the same as last year, despite the fact that immigration is lower. It's really driven by the surge in supply. And the surge in supply is because a really high number of people are just moving out of their units, partly because they can't afford them, partly because they're no longer walking to work and their micro condo is no longer big enough for them to live and work out of. 
So these are the big trends that I think that are impacting the city of Toronto right now. John, uh, you provided us with some data since we're going to talk about some numbers. Uh, I want to pull up mm -hmm. this urban exodus chart. Uh, let us know what we're looking at here. We can see Simcoe, Dufferin, Durham, Halton, York, Region, and Toronto at the bottom there. You touched on a little bit, but what are we looking at? Yeah, so this is basically a chart that shows how sales have changed from June to August of this year to June to August of last year. So it's a percent increase in the number of homes that have sold. You know, and we can see that Simcoe and Dufferin, which are these, I mean, they weren't originally considered part of the suburbs. Durham, Halton, York are kind of the suburbs in Peel. So Simcoe and Dufferin are seeing the biggest increase in the number of sales. Now, the important thing to think about is certainly proportionally, again, they have the biggest percentage increase, but those areas have far fewer sales than the city of Toronto. So if we look at the number of sales, Simcoe and Dufferin have about 1,500 more sales this year versus last year. City of Toronto's up 1,000, but proportionately, you know, it, it doesn't look like a great story. City of Toronto is only up 10%. Those areas are up 60%. So again, like I said, City of Toronto low rise is still busy. It's it's the condo market. I think that's kind of the, the one that's taken the big hit from this exodus. Melissa, how do you yeah. think this movement um, out of Toronto and into other municipalities will both change and shape the provincial capital and those places that people are resettling in? Oh, I think, and again, to the point where Durham and Simcoe never used to be considered part of the suburbs, we're actually starting to talk about them as if they're suburbs. So I think as there's more outflow into those, we'll call them like outer, outer suburbs now, um, there's going to be a whole culture that's built around around these, these young professionals and these families coming in and making these uh, once more sleepy, um, you know, resort towns their own. We saw the same, like a similar thing, like you might know in Hamilton, where there's this huge resurgence of culture and art and ca and cafes in Hamilton because of the mini exodus that happened with Torontonians leaving for Hamilton. So I think these outer suburbs are going to very much benefit that way economically and also culturally. Here in the city, you know, I think there is going to be a bit of a, not just a brain drain but also less people who will contribute to our local economies. And that's a little bit unfortunate. Uh, Mary, I see you nodding your head there. Uh, what do you think, how do you think this is going to shape both Toronto and those uh, municipalities that people will be moving to? Well, I want us to eradicate the term exodus. It's just ridiculous. You know, this is, you know, cities are living organisms. They're, it's, we're like an amoeba. We have very porous moving and backing and forthing, which is really healthy. The city that doesn't, isn't always changing is a dead city. That's not Toronto. Toronto is a very vibrant, live city. And I would challenge us to think a little bit. I love the chart, John, with the bars, because think about this for a sec. I think what we're going to understand is that globally, you know, talk to your cousin in Europe. They don't know whether Barrie is in Toronto or whether Newmarket is in Toronto. It's all Toronto, this region. And I think that maybe what this is going to do is compel us to look at governance arrangements and financing arrangements that better understand us as a region, the Toronto region. And so even though you may not live and you may not continue to own a home downtown, that doesn't mean that you're no longer part of Toronto. In fact, you're still part of the Toronto economy for sure. And the teleworking may allow us to more materially manifest this to say, oh, I may have my house in Newmarket or Uxbridge or even Peterborough. I don't know how far it's going to go, but that doesn't mean that I'm not part of the Toronto economy. I absolutely am. And I'm going to potentially still participate and come into the downtown. But I agree with Melissa. One of the fringe benefits of this thing is it's going to 
uh, amp up and intensify our investments on our main streets, uh, in our neighborhoods. But I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And I, I really firmly believe that you can't hold, you cannot, it takes a lot to kill a city, guys. And this isn't going to do it. You know, it, it will, it's going to trans, it's going to transform. And I think it's going to fill out. And so I really want exodus off. Exodus is such a loaded term. I really don't think this is an exodus. I will add on to that. Although I moved to Hamilton five years ago, I probably spend five days out of the week in Toronto from morning to night. So uh, with that, I want to jump in uh, with Melissa. You spent uh, a few months away from the urban life uh, during the pandemic. What was the biggest difference for you from that kind of life uh, that you would normally lead in the city? You know, as someone who who is also a, a diehard downtown Toronto girl, I you know I've been here for 15 years. I moved here from Brampton. First of all, I'd like to say I never thought that I would like ever live such an extended time. To me, that's extended um, up north. And what was supposed to be a weekend trip with my fiance turned into one week, then turned into two weeks, and then we just decided to spend entire isolation up in uh, Blue Mountain near Collingwood, and the the quiet the nature yet still access to you know amenities not to mention you know being right on georgian bay uh it just really opened my eyes to the fact that you can have uh, a, a career and you can grow your career and your business while still also having that like 24 7 cottage lifestyle i think that was extremely eye-opening to me and it turned me into a rural small town uh outer suburb convert I'm curious, all of you are joining us uh, from Toronto. Have you, Mary and, and John, also maybe considered moving out and, and kind of uh, looking for that simple life? Well, None. John, do you want to answer them behind you? <laughs> I mean, I, sure. I, I, I grew up on, uh, on 10 acres, so I'm very familiar uh, with rural and, and uh, outer suburbs life. And no, certainly I'm a downtown person. I didn't even think twice about leaving the city. Um, it's just to, uh, I, I, again, I value the lifestyle, the walkability, all of those things that make the city great. And I don't think that's gonna change for me personally. Uh, with that, John, uh, we talked a little bit about cottages and I wanna ask you, um, you know, there's been a bit of a surge in cottage pur purchases uh, in recent months. Is there any advice for people who might be looking into that or have already purchased that? Uh, do they know what they're getting themselves involved there? Let's yeah, so the cottage boom is interesting. I mean, it's it's there's a, definitely a lot of people who are looking at making that their principal residence. And, you know, you really, really needs to be cautious uh, if you've never lived out that far uh, permanently. Again, there's you know, I don't think people know what it's like in cottage country in the winter. Uh, Internet access generally isn't great. So it's a really, really big shift. I mean, I think the smart people are probably uh, trying it out and maybe moving to a cottage for two or three months to try that lifestyle. But again, I think there's a lot to consider before making that kind of cottage lifestyle your your permanent lifestyle. It's definitely a big shift. Well, according... Jan, yes. Can I jump in, Jayanne, and just say that I lived rural for 10 years and I, um, I'm, I'm with Melissa. I think this is all about the quality of the place, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to invest in the quality of places, whether it's in Parkdale or it's in the north end of Winnipeg, or it's in um, Gray County or Simcoe County or, or Lanark County. And I think that it's about choices and we exercise choices, but I don't think it's either or. You know, these are completely interdependent regions. Our urban life and our rural life are completely locked and dependent on one another for different things. And so I think if the pandemic incentivizes us to invest 
in what's going to allow us to make better places and spaces, and then we have more choice, that's great. I just would not equate that with abandoning the city because I do not think that will happen. Well, let's talk about it. Obviously, we're, you know, we're in a pandemic and that's kind of shifted uh, the way people are looking at, at the city. And according to some Nanos research polling that was done this past July for the Ontario Real Estate Association, since COVID-19 hit, 61% agreed or somewhat agreed their interest in suburban rural housing has increased. 34% are more drawn to downtown living, while 25% are more interested in owning a home. Uh, I'm going to throw this to Melissa. What do you think could be the motivation for why people might be uh, looking for that uh, suburban lifestyle? I think it comes down to a, a big part of it comes down to stage of life. Again, uh, you know, I'm going to get married next year. You know, family might be on the table. So it's a question of where do I want to raise and grow my family and what kind of environment and with the cultural shifts that we're seeing in Toronto that may take a long time to recover do I want do I continue to want to to start and grow a family downtown rather than have that quality of the life like outside of the city especially now that I know that number one telecommuting is a thing and it's not going anywhere and number two there is being infrastructure invested in making, I guess, like the outer, outer suburbs more commutable. And I think that will continue. And as long as that happens, then I think that's a big driver for the sentiment of moving into the rural and suburban areas. John, uh, we're heading into potentially a, a second wave uh, with this pandemic. Does that uh, push things into the direction of a movement out of, uh, of, out of the Toronto? I didn't say exodus there, I said movement. Um, <laughs> but uh, is there a movement out? Will that help things? Uh, but, I mean, potentially we might see that. I mean, what we're finding is that, you know, the, the first wave of people who moved started moving out of the city, and, and it definitely happened. We saw it even in our office, just people selling their downtown homes, moving out. Most of these people plans to move were had it in their works and working from home just allowed them to speed up those plans. The second wave of people that we're hearing from now, you know, are, are people who are just asking more, you know, philosophical questions about their life and existential questions. What do they want? Where do they want to live? Do they do they want to downsize their mortgage? They want a simpler lifestyle. Um, you know, and I do think people are starting to ask themselves these questions. And as long as kind of the COVID lockdown goes on, you know, you might start to see people who want to just downsize and want a simpler way of life. Again, I don't think this is going to be a, a mass sort of exodus out of the city. I think it's going to be a few people who maybe just prefer that lifestyle. And I think we'll probably start to see a few more people moving out of low rise homes downtown still into these uh, these outer suburbs. Mary. It's a privilege, of course, to work from home. Um, how do you think being able to do it remotely factors into this equation? Well, just remember, there are a gazillion people who are not working from home. Mm -hmm. They still go to work. They're still on transit. They're providing essential services. And, or they don't have a home from which they can work. They may be homeless or they may be inadequately housed. So I just want us to be really careful here that it's not all rosy people working from home. Mm -hmm. the, the, the point about Melissa that she's making is, uh, which is important, is that if we actually do find that we intensify rural areas and suburbs, we've got to really think hard about what the climate implications of that is. Because you, you don't want, we don't want to be increasing people putting more time in their cars. You know, so it's going to be a challenge, I think, for planners and for real estate developers to, and they've already started to do this, and this should be accelerated by COVID, to invest in infrastructure in suburbs so that they can be walkable too. And so then, and I think back to our Main Street work, 
you know, main streets need to house a whole lot of things, not just stores, but services and places to worship and places to get some culture and a whole bunch of things. So I want us to be cognizant that the whole world is not working from home. We're going, I think we should continue to find ways to be safely mobile and, and exercise choices safely so that we protect ourselves because we're in this for at least another year and who knows what the next uh, challenge will be ahead. That's part of resilience, part of custody's adapt. And so it's all about choices. And I think that we need to all challenge ourselves to be able to evolve safely into whatever the new normal is and not be satisfied with, oh, well, I'm just going to work from home and do it the way I just did it. I think we have to continue to change it up, which is what the circumstances are forcing us to do. John, with this pandemic, um, how much of a dent on the cost of rent and real estate uh, could we see, um, you know, when we talk about a year down the line or just a few months, have we seen uh, dents in rents and uh, in the cost of, of condos? I imagine that has a huge player in this. Yeah, so the only segment of the real estate market where we've seen declines are rents. We have not seen declines in condo prices. We haven't seen declines in low-rise house prices. Uh, but like I said, downtown rents uh, for condominiums are down about 20% over last year. A lot of big purpose-built uh, rental landlords have a lot of vacancy and are providing a lot of incentives. So rents are definitely down, uh, especially the closer you are to the downtown core. Uh, they're seeing a steep decline for sure. Uh, talk to us about uh, the condo market. This is a huge um, kind of, you know, uh, a big impact in terms of from the pre-construction all the way up until buying and then reselling. How has that flow changed a bit with, uh, with the pandemic? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think this is probably the one segment that I think a lot of people are overlooking that, um, you know, a weakening condo market downtown is, is not great. And how long this continues is, again, a function of the health risks. But if rents decline, if condo prices decline, that's not a great thing because our entire pre-construction pipeline is based on this idea that condo prices will keep going up. So if, if condo prices fall a little bit, especially downtown, then there definitely presents a lot of risks because people have paid significantly high prices for pre-construction condominiums. And if we look at a lot of cities where, you know, condo price condos have failed in the in the past, you know, a lot of times it's because resale prices fell. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the people who bought those pre-construction condos, they weren't worth what they paid for them. So they just stopped making their deposits. And again, this isn't I'm not saying this is going to happen, but we, it's important to keep an eye on sort of these trends in the condo market because it's not just all oh, rents are down. It's going to have a really significant impact uh, on our economy in the future. Melissa, you know, I think our culture puts a lot of value on buying real estate versus renting. Uh, would you, do you think this would help kind of reevaluate, um, you know, how we start thinking about that, whether, you know, our current system needs a little bit of a shakeup? Do we need to maybe focus more on, you know, renting is okay or versus, you know, getting into the market and getting a house so you can kind of build your portfolio that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just overall, you know, it, we might not call it an exodus, but, you know, the coronavirus, the pandemic, it, I think it, we reached a tipping point of a lot of um, urban planning that's been happening that people have been perhaps criticizing for a long time about how, like, unsustainable it is, how it's, um, you know, not built for different kinds of families. And having said all that now, I think everybody, a lot of people collectively were taking a step back and looking at our real estate habits, patterns, and our goals, 
And, you know, we're, we're a young country. We're a young city. You know, in Paris, you know, Stockholm, London, it is, those are cities of renters. Right. There, there's just no more space to build, except for if you go out in the suburbs. So renting is a perfectly fine, culturally accepted way of life. In fact, most people rent unless you have, you know, a, a, an apartment that was passed down to you by an uncle. And so eventually over time, we're going to start seeing the same attitudes, the same um, cultural behaviors and mentality. And I think coronavirus might have possibly accelerated that. Uh, John, I'm curious, you know, as we talk about real estate being an investment vehicle, is there any sort of shift that needs to happen when we talk about policies um, and the and the financial system? You know, that's a that's a great question. I think certainly, I think one of the challenges in the GTA is that a lot of the you know the pre-construction housing has really been fueled by investors, uh, and this this at the end of the day has really just served. To, I mean, it's pushed prices up more than they should be because investors pay more than than end users, and that's why pre-construction condos are more expensive. Um, and really, it's just resulted in the type of supply that investors want, which are micro condos, which are probably not going to fit what we want. So there are a lot of policies I think that the, our federal governments could be putting in place that that kind of prioritizes housing as a place to live rather than as a financial asset that people should speculating on. And, and the types of things they could do, there's quite a few, but I think the first thing is recognizing that they should be prioritizing homes as a place to live, but not as a, as a speculative investment. Mary, if this pandemic could be the catalyst to make the city of Toronto and its housing prospects better, what would you want to see transformed? Well, what John's talking about is ending the financialization of housing, and it's a critically important thing that Leilani Farha uh, is advocating through her right to home work uh, with cities across the country. She, he's absolutely right. So you need to somehow take that element out of it. And I think it's it's probably policy initiatives from the federal and the provincial governments that's going to have to make that happen. You know, I think what I'd like to see is we, we had a struggle, again, pre-COVID. A lot of this stuff was challenging us before COVID. And before COVID, we didn't have the mix of of choices in housing. The market was generally, and perhaps fueled exactly what John's suggesting by speculation, but it was generally only providing high-end, high-end residential. And we need a mix and we need purpose-built rental. And maybe what will happen through this is we're going to see some conversions of buildings. I think we're already starting to hear this from some commercial buildings may now have some residential. We may see some of these condos, like there's one being built behind me that's a to be purpose-built rental. Um, I think we may see more of this. I could not agree more with Melissa that we need to drop that notion that the only way that you can uh, move up, so to speak, is to own a home. That means we need new, new tools to build equity because most people, like me, tend to be lazy about this and we use the equity in our home as our retirement plan. If you're not going to own your home, you need another mechanism and some kind of path that allows you to build equity um, without investing in real estate. And if you, if we were to adopt that approach that Melissa is suggesting, which is true in most of the great cities of the world, where you don't have an expectation to own, then we need tenant protection and various things. But the last thing I'll suggest is that I think we need to invest in neighborhoods to be more complete. And so that means downtown central business districts probably need to have more housing. And maybe, in fact, we're going to see some light manufacturing returning, like in Hong Kong. They have light factories in these high-rises. And then a neighborhood becomes more self-sufficient, has more amenities, and you're more resilient. And that's what we need to do in the neighborhoods, main streets. We need to do it in the suburbs. And we need to do it right smack downtown in the downtowns across the country. I think we're going to leave it at that. Mary Rowe, 
Melissa Alice, John Vassalis, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the show. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Ontario. CPA Ontario is a regulator, an educator, a thought leader, and an advocate. We protect the public. We advance our profession. We guide our CPAs. We are CPA Ontario. And by viewers like you. Thank you.